Howdy, and welcome to episode 16 of Bleachers and Boxes, a baseball podcast hosted by old friends who happen to be fans of the Houston Astros and the New York Yankees. With me as always today is my co-host Eric, the Yankees fan, and I'm Storm. I'm an Astros fan, an attorney, and when I was a kid, I ate lunch with Billy Wagner and Craig Biggio before vomiting all over the Loop 202 freeway in Tempe, Arizona. Play the drop. Eric, how are you doing today, buddy? I am great, Storm. I think we're going to have to add some sort of like grotesque vomiting noise uh, to oh, our drop. Yeah. Uh, what, we have some good what, like sounds. I, I think we're going to have to find some. What? What? Before even asking how you got to eat lunch with with Wags and uh, Biggio, what did you eat? Uh, so I actually woke up with the stomach flu that day. Uh, oh. My dad. Did yes. the Astros get the stomach bug? Like, <laughs> no, I, I actually, I don't know. Yeah, thank goodness. Um, that would have been bad. I, uh, so my dad, uh, we had a family friend used to work for the Astros, and uh, he knew I was a big Astros fan. And that year, uh, we had kind of spent a lot of time following the Astros around um, as they traveled. And I went out with my dad to spring training in Kissimmee, Florida, and I basically just got free reign of the clubhouse. I went wherever I want, pretty much. Wow. And yeah, it was awesome. So the Astros came to Phoenix, uh, play the Diamondbacks, and my uh, family friend says, hey, you know, why don't you bring Storm to lunch today? He tells my dad. So my dad comes in, he tells me, hey, you gotta, you're, you're going to go to lunch with us today. Uh, and, you know, just kind of whatever. Cool, awesome, always fun to go to lunch. So we, we get there, and Craig Bijou and Billy Wagner are there. Uh, but before we get there, I'm telling my dad, like, man, I don't think I should go. Like, I don't feel well. I'm like, I'm just, I'm sick. I'm throwing up. I don't really want to go. And my dad just kept insisting, like, kind of almost getting mad at me. Like, you have to go. Didn't want to ruin the surprise. So I get there. Right. Both Bees and Wags are there. It's awesome. But uh, we had Mexican food. I ate almost nothing. Like, I pretty much just ate chips and salsa. And I was just, <laughs> you know, it was such a, it was such a horrible, like, uh, like contrast, right? Of like, I was so excited to be there but also just painfully sick and trying to have like energy, but also being exhausted. And right. uh, I remember, I remember just, I just remember eating uh, Mexican food and it was just awesome. Um, but then we start driving home and we're driving home from uh, Phoenix out to where we lived uh, on the Eastern part of town in Mesa. And we're going by the loop 202 freeway. And I remember I'm sitting in the car and I just yell at my dad. I was like, I have to throw up. Like I have to throw up right now. So I roll the window <laughs> down. I am probably nine years old at this time. And right. I think even even 21 year olds, I think, make this mistake. They think I'm driving. I roll the window down. The vomit will just go straight out and onto the ground. <laughs> oh, I can see this right Spoiler now. Spoiler alert. It does not. Especially when not when you're driving 65 miles an hour down the freeway. Oh. Uh, so I lean my head out. I'm wearing uh, the brick red Astros uh, hat. Uh, right. This is in the 2000s. I lean my head out, Still start throwing out. up. Pat immediately flies right off, right off my head. <laughs> vomiting out the car, getting on the side of the car. Like it's a, it's chaos. So my dad pulls over and I'm so upset. Like I'm crying. I'm like expecting my dad's like going to freak out and be pissed at me. He was super, uh, to his credit, super calm. And I'm like, Hey, I lost my hat, you know? And so he's like, all right, he pulls over, he hops out of the car and in an unbelievable twist of fate, my dude, we were on the far, we were booking it, booking it in like the, the, the carpool lane. So the far left side of the freeway going 65, it takes him time to pull off, get all the way over the right to the shoulder. He gets out of the car. He walks like, I don't know, 15 feet behind the car and just stands there. My hat rolls across like five lanes of traffic to him. He picks it up, comes in, throws it in the car. We, we drive away. The hat is absolutely trashed, totally destroyed. But it's got like all my autographs from the, like the 2001 Astros all over it. So I still have it to this day, but it's like covered in tar the bill is ripped open, like the 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 seams are just ripped. But um, yeah, hundred percent still have it. It's in my closet here, actually. That's amazing. That 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 is both a wonderful story and also like we can all relate. Even as adults, we can relate to that. And it's like the worst feeling on the yeah. on the fucking planet. Yeah, um, yeah. That's that's really cool though. Do you do you have a recollection of like getting to hang out with Biggio and Wagner or like? is it sort of muddled with the fact that you were like trying to not projectile vomit on the table? No, absolutely. I mean, it's really, it's really, uh, when I was a kid, we had you know, a couple different family friends that worked with a couple different teams. And so I kind of was, and we didn't get baseball 
we didn't have baseball in uh, in Arizona until 1998. So I right. loved baseball, you know, from the moment I was, uh, as I like to say, online from the moment I became conscious. Uh, so I never really had a true kind of favorite team. And then once I kind of, uh, I always kind of say that was the moment in time where I became an Astros fan was that lunch hanging out with Bijou and Wagner. And I'll never forget Craig Bijou was so nice to me that whole lunch because uh, he knew I was sick. He knew I wasn't feeling well. And he just kept talking to me like when, you know, when the adults were talking with my dad and, and our family friend were talking, he kept talking to me and like asking me how I was feeling. And he was like making jokes about like not feeling well. And he was just trying to kind of like kind of keep my spirits up. So I'll always remember that. That was awesome. And um, but yeah, I, lo- I every now and then I, I keep the hat in this like this bag of just old hats, frankly, that I haven't right. probably worn in 15 years. And, uh, I always, whenever I move or whenever I'm rearranging stuff, I come across it, I kind of take it out. So I'm actually, I'm going to see if I can find it. Um, it's, I'm pretty sure it's here in my apartment, in my, uh, in my closet. So I'm going to, I'm going to see if I can dig it out and uh, maybe I'll post a photo of it. It's, it's a cool little piece, uh, just a, you know, a beat up meaningless little hat that looks like it's gone to hell, but, um, it's super fun. It was so cool, man. Like I said, it's why I'm an Astros fan. That is, that's a, that's a great story. It's a great, it's a great origin story, right? Yeah. As to why why you became a fan. Cause yeah, we, we all forget. Um, or at least uh, I'm not going to say that I forget when the D backs were added to the league. Uh, but don't think about the fact that if you grew up in that area, you had to root for another team, right? Like mm-hmm. there wasn't a team in Arizona. So, yeah. And I, 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 yeah, I liked various teams, um, like the Cubbies a lot cause the Cubbies trained in Mesa where I grew up. So right. they were a big pull. Um, the Sammy Sosa home run chase. That was awesome for me to see too. So I was right. like, kind of, I was a kind of free agent. Yeah. So save save the game. Save the game so so to speak. But yeah. anyway, uh let's get into the day. We've got a few topics to cover. So topic number 1, the Stro show comes to the Bronx. Marcus Stroman signs a 37 million dollar two-year pact with the New York Yankees. It has a player option for 2026 which will vest if he is able to throw 140 innings in 2025. So with that uh, option and that is a player option. It uh, makes the deal in total worth $55 million over three years. Uh, Stroman, of course, is a, a New York boy. He's from Long Island. He's talked before about his affinity for New York growing up there. He uh, had a strong start in 2023. Uh, fizzled, of course, after the All-Star game. He had some hip inflammation. And or I guess it was he was I think he was injured kind of on and off going into the all star break. But I remember yeah, specifically he had some rib issues, too. I think he was yeah. I think he was compensating for I forget which in, in which order, but he was compensating mm-hmm. for one that caused the other. Mm-hmm. So he had the hip inflammation really tanked second half of the season. At one point he came back in, and I say to his credit, at one point he came back and was just doing um, bullpen uh, work, basically not not just bullpen work, but was pitching out of the bullpen for the Cubs as they were in that that hunt for October that they ultimately fell uh, short on. But right. so after yeah, they didn't trade him or Bellinger, cause they were trying to hunt for the playoffs. We talked about, yeah, we've talked about that on this and, and how, you know, we kind of thought that was a, an interesting move. And, and, um, yep. but of course the Cubs at the time thought they had a chance and they got real close and all of a sudden things, uh, unraveled for them down the stretch. But with that, he is now officially a Yankee after, uh, the signing and after his physical, the Yankees made room for him on the 40-man by DFAing former Cleveland Guardian Oscar Gonzalez. Uh, the Yankees had claimed him off waivers not too long ago on December 1st. And uh, while he has he Oscar Gonzalez does not have much of a track record, what do you what do you most remember him for, if anything, Eric? I have I have zero recollection of him. I'm sure there. I want to say that there was he he may have appeared in that ALDS in 22. Because he actually, I mean, he he was definitely a fourth outfielder for that team, but I have no specific memory of him. Like I have other, obviously, memories of other Guardians, but mm-hmm. is is, so is there something he, that I should be his his of? kind of his big moment of his young career is just before the twenty twenty two ALDS. He hit the walk off home run in that scoreless marathon wild card game three, I think, between the Rays and Guardians in twenty twenty two. It was zero zero oh. in the fifteenth inning. He hit a bomb to left center off uh, Corey Kluber, uh, former yeah. Yankee, right? Former Yankee. Yeah, he threw a no header. The clue bot. The clue bot. Yeah, against Texas. So, uh, yeah. I so was with at, that, I was at the game before that. Actually, that was that was the first game that we went to post COVID and no fans in the stands, and it was the exact start before he threw a two hit complete game shutout, and it was like. Oh, his start he, before. Because then he, he threw it in Texas, I think, right? He threw it in Texas, yeah. Yeah. 
Um, That's so peculiar. Through. That stadium's already had multiple no hitters, and it's only a couple years old. And yeah, that's wild. It's it's because it's a spam can. What's so odd about it though is, and we've talked about this before, is I don't understand why Houston hits so well in that stadium and also doesn't really pitch well in that stadium, but Houston can mash in that stadium and can't in the band box. But we're getting off topic. Let's get back to Marcus Stroman. He's a Yankee. Give me your thoughts, Eric. Yeah. I mean, my, my initial gut feeling when they, when they shared both that they had signed him and at least the initial terms, and I don't think the vesting option um, was a part of the initial terms, but two years, uh, 37 million. I thought that's actually pretty good value for a pitcher of his caliber. I know he's had some injuries in the past. It wasn't just last year. Uh, he's, he's inconsistent. He's yeah, he's, in, he is inconsistent. He's had a couple all-star game appearances. Um, but then like you look like when he, let me, let me look at the positives first. The guy's got, uh, he's got a personality for sure. Some of that is, is very positive. Some of that's very negative. He's got some, uh, issues with social media and he's gotten into it with fans. He's gotten into it with, uh, with reporters. Um, he thinks he's smarter than, yeah, I'm sure he's a very smart guy, but he's been related to Kyrie and Aaron Rodgers in the sense that he sort of comes out of left field had a, a whole spiel about the media, which turned into looked like some anti-Semitic tropes. Mm-hmm. Nothing ever came out with that. But overall, even though he's been inconsistent because of injuries, he has pitched in some big spots. And he's 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 actually pitched pretty well in the postseason as well, uh, not only for the Jays, but for the Mets and the Cubs. Um my issues going into his signing was that when he was initially traded from the Jays to the Mets, someone spoke to the media. The media wasn't allowed in the locker room yet. He was traded and apparently went off in the locker room about being traded to New York, but not to the Yankees. He grew up a Yankee fan at mm-hmm. on Long Island. And shortly after that, Brian Cashman opened his stupid fucking mouth <laughs> And said, "Tell us Mark how Quinn, you really feel." Well, I'm sorry. Like, if if this guy was pissed, he didn't get traded to his favorite team growing up, and your goal was to say he's not an impact pitcher for us. He probably wouldn't start for us in the postseason. We all know how that resulted with Jordan Montgomery. Like, I don't understand. Like, I, I appreciate the fact that Cashman speaks. I don't always appreciate what he says. Mm-hmm. That said, he went after Cashman a ton on Twitter. He went after Michael Kay on Twitter after Kay was a little critical of him as a Met uh, in terms of his pitching performance and some of the things that he says on social media, retweeted a, an article that had no merit that Kay was a racist um, and then didn't respond to any request to speak with Kay. Um, as this was all, as the courtship was starting to begin, he wiped all of this from his Twitter and seems to want to make nice. So that's where I'm like, okay, dude, like if you want to, if you want to do your thing, don't, don't backtrack. Mm-hmm. But I never understood why he like went after the Yankees. I, go after Cashman. Don't go after the Yankees. He's blocked half of Yankees Twitter. It's like a rite of passage. If you're mm-hmm. blocked by Mar- Marcus Stroman on, on Twitter um, as a Yankee fan. That said, I don't, I don't think it's a bad signing for the price and for the fact that he's not expected to be the ace. If Rodon returns to form, he's not even expected to be the number two. He'll be the number three starter. And if Nestor Cortez returns at least to form uh, the 2022 form that we saw, he might even be the fourth starter. So I think it's a good depth signing. Uh, it's not insignificant money. Uh, and we'll talk about it in a little bit. Seems like it actually has... Uh, swayed the Yanks away from doing a deal with Blake Snell. They did offer him a contract. Uh, but overall, I mean, for two years, 37 million total. I don't know if he's going to get 140 innings. He's only done it like once in six years. And that's dating back to 2018. I think it's a pretty good signing. I don't know. What do, what do you think? I'm rambling here now. No, it's cool. I I, I think... I think it's a good signing. I think it absolutely takes them out of the Snell running if they were ever in it. And I think I've made my opinion clear on this. I feel like their connection to Snell 
has simply been there to drive his market. Not that not that they aren't legitimately interested in him, more so that the the public nature of their pursuit of him is kind of out is agent um, agent related, uh, so as to drive Snell's market value up and get more bidders because. We don't really hear a lot about what's going on with Snell's market other than, oh, by the way, the Yankees are interested and also Snell would like to go to Seattle. So I, I, this does I think this is a your, good deal. This does theory intact. It does. I, I stand by it. I think, I think Snell's going to the Mariners. I think, I think right. it's a matter of, I think it's a matter of, uh, of when, not if. And I, I think this is this, I don't know that they necessarily had to do this. And I still, I, I recall reading as well, kind of in the, in the Twitter circles, uh, there are people who still think, another move of a lesser um, a lesser caliber is coming for starting rotation. But that strikes me as odd because you have Clark Schmidt, who seems perfectly promising and fine, and that somebody you want to give the opportunity to succeed. Uh, maybe the feeling is that there's nothing after him. So maybe that's where the the concern is that they need to add somebody else. But I, I, yeah. I think that yeah, they're definitely out on the snow. I think this helps shore up their rotation. They're still, of course, going to be injury concerns uh, across that rotation after Cole. Um, and perhaps maybe not with, uh, with the young, the young, younger starting pitchers, but with Stroman, uh, with, uh, Nestor Cortez and with uh, Carlos Rodon, who's been injury prone pretty much his entire career, except his walk year in San Francisco. So I, I like the deal. I, I definitely like the deal overall. Yeah. And I mean, just, just, uh, you're, you're noting, you know, a- agent stuff with, uh, with Snell, I believe Scott Boris is his agent. Um, and I mean, look, I, mean, I get it. He's a two-time Cy Young award winner. He's one of, I forget how many pitchers that's won a Cy Young in each league. Um, I saw something they, that the, the market out there was nine years, 270-ish million for wow. Snell. And it's like, at this point in his career as a five-inning pitcher, probably not. Um, mm. But like, it was reported that the Yanks offered him a five-year, $150 million contract and Snell either wanted more money annually or a sixth year added uh, at that same thirty million dollar rate. So yeah, I don't think I don't think that's that's gonna happen. Um, I know I saw John Heyman of the New York Post said uh, he wrote uh, in his article today uh, that uh, it seemed unlikely at this point. And the Yankees, won't yeah, I don't even yeah, unlikely is too soft of a term in my opinion. I think it is too. So I, I, I think John Heyman also is careful with his words. Mm-hmm. <laughs> you know, I, I do want to push back on one issue. You said uh, Stroman, uh, I want to correct something and also push back. Stroman has pitched more than 140 innings several times. He nearly eclipsed that mark last year. He went 136 and two thirds the year before in Chicago, 138 and two thirds 2021 with the Mets, 179 innings, uh, 2019 with the uh, Jays and Mets, he threw 184 and a third and then 2016 and 17, he eclipsed 200 innings, both those. So he's done it. He's done it um, both in the recent past and and several times throughout his career. And he, he came very, very close to doing it last year in a injury yeah. riddled season. So I don't think it's outside the realm of possibility. I think it might more be in, be driven by his, uh, the caliber of his performance, not necessarily whether or not he can stay healthy. Yeah. And uh, yeah, it's a good, and everything you listed, I think I said that he's only done it once over the last six years. Um, he did opt out of, uh, just for those uh, listening, he opted out of the 2020 season, which was, was his right. Um, but uh, I believe you, what you listed was he did it. He's done it twice and he's almost eclipsed it a few times. So yeah, he, like I said, um, he nearly did it. He nearly did it each of the last two seasons. He was an inning yeah. and a third away and then three innings and a third away. So Again, he can. It's it's certainly within the realm of possibility. Exactly. So yeah, all in all, I think it's a it's a, it's a good signing. Uh, I'm in agreement with you. Um, and as long as he doesn't pull a Josh Donaldson and completely collapse, <laughs> mess up the vibes. And- I mean, winning fixes everything. Though we're going to talk about. Get ready to hear that expression again soon. But uh, yeah, if if he's successful. I don't think it's going to matter. I mean, he's, he is, this is the guy, you know, he had such, again, I hate to use the word, but he had such good, uh, let's say energy rather than vibes. I mean, I, I think the most, his crowning achievement in my book as a professional athlete, or at least a major league baseball player was the WBC in 2017. I don't think he's done anything as impressive as what he did 
there, or perhaps he hasn't done anything as memorable, I should say, as what he did there. Being a professional all-star, um, major league baseball player who makes the all-star team, he's been very, very good, very impressive right. his career. I'm not taking that away from him, but I'm saying the most, the thing I think of the most memorable part of his career for me is that WBC. And I just remember, you know, he's, he's strutting, he's dancing off the mound, he's having a good time. And he really kind of dropped the hammer in that, that game against Puerto Rico to win the WBC for Team USA. And if he can do things like that, even if the team struggles, they're not going to point fingers at him. Everything's going to be fine. But if he's not, if he's not, you know, an above average starter and things are going south, then yeah, the vibes will be way off and the, the, the finger pointing will start. Um, so there is that risk, but I think at least the first year, similar to Donaldson, at least the first year, as long as he's, you know, above average to competent, uh, I don't think that, that his, uh, his antics will cause any serious issue. It's that it's that year two where if if he's you know just okay and the team is just okay that things might be more problematic. Yeah, exactly. Um, and in 2017, uh, last note on Stroman. 2017, Stroman pitched for the U.S. in the WBC, which is the year they won the WBC. Uh, and then in I just said that. I just said that. <laughs> I know. I know you did. I know you did. But he also then he switched. And pay, and played for Puerto Rico mm-hmm. uh, in the last one in the 2023 uh, WBC. Did he actually? Did he actually pitch? I can't remember. I know he was part of the team. I can't remember if he actually appeared. Uh, that I would because his check. mother, I believe his mother is. Uh, I'll 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 explain. I believe his mother is of Puerto Rican um, descent. Might even actually just be outright from Puerto Rico. And that was actually in the 2017 WBC Championship against Puerto Rico. Going, you know, getting his Twitter fingers ready, he was pretty vocal uh, before the game talking about how he wasn't asked to play for Team Puerto Rico. He would have loved to play for Team Puerto Rico because his mom's Puerto Rican, but he's, you know, he's had this like vendetta against them and he was ready to, you know, light it up. So that really motivated him uh, in that in that championship game. But then, of course, uh, fast forward to you know the next the next WBC, he was on Team Puerto Rico and. Uh, like I said, I can't remember if he actually played though. Cause I do remember that story, but the more I thought about it, I was like, I don't know if he actually pitched. I can't, can't think of a performance from him. Yeah. Uh, just looking it up now, uh, 2023 world baseball classic. He started two games. Um, not seeing which ones, two games, nine innings, seven hits, uh, three earned runs, two home runs, one home run, uh, whip of 0.89 and, uh, had a two twelve average against him. Okay, so be it. Well, with that, yeah. with a recap of market the 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 varied career of Marcus Stroman in the WBC, let's move to our second topic: one foot in the grave, man. Uh, Kendall Graveman is done for the 2024 season after having shoulder surgery. This is a big blow to the Houston Astros. Graveman, of course, was required. Uh, excuse me. Graveman, of course, was acquired for Corey Lee straight up at the 2023 trade deadline. As we discussed in episode four of Bleachers and Boxes, I shared my initial thoughts on the swap of Graveman for Corey Lee, and my gut said this was an overpay. The Astros were getting an you know, above-average relief pitcher. I felt like they the, the price might have been too high. In exchange, they were giving up a young prospect in Corey Lee, a catcher, a position that they would have to focus on for the future. Of course, they had Yiner Diaz, but there was still some uncertainty about, about Yiner Diaz. He hadn't really, I think, fully blossomed yet at that point. Yeah, and he wasn't getting a lot of playing time, much to the consternation of the front office. But there was certainly a, <laughs> a part of me that thought, you know, this is a young, controllable bat first catcher on a team that will be needing offense in the future. He has at that point, he de- he still doesn't even have a year of service time. So at that point, he you're looking at roughly six years of team control with three pre arbitration pre arbitration years and then three years of arbitration. So you're giving up a ton of team control at a at a position that you might need in the future, uh, especially because there were questions still at that time about Yander Diaz's defense. So I felt like it was an overpay. I thought about it some more as we talked about in that prior episode, and I I thought, well, look, I think Dana Brown had a, had the right idea. He made a good point in his press statements that. Getting Graveman wasn't just about the 2024, or excuse me, the 2023 World Series push. It was about the 2024 season because Graveman still had this extra year of control and it was at a cheap number of $8 million for that year. And that's just not something you're going to find in the 2024 offseason relief market. Um, to wit, he's been pretty, pretty uh, prescient on that matter. We've seen Craig Kimbrell get a one year, $13 million deal. Jordan Hicks, four years, $44 million. Of course, some of that he's sort of being paid to be a starting pitcher, but that's really not starting pitcher money. It's beside the point. Nick Martinez. Yeah. He also hasn't started in a while. 
I don't know if he's ever. Oh yeah, he started early in St. Louis days, but yeah, no, 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 but not, not even a ton. Like he he made like eight starts. I want to say it was like 2019. Yeah, it's been a while, but and yeah. and he's had you know he's had various control issues, whatever. But yeah. you know he so that's that deal was also you know it's it's still more it's more that's 11 million dollars a year, which is more than Graveman was due to get. Uh, Nick Martinez, two years, 26 million. Same thing, kind of a relief starting pitcher kind of guy, but still a, a high high point. Uh, Reynaldo Lopez, three years, 30 million to Atlanta. San Diego signs Yuki Matsuri to a five-year deal. Of course, it was a lower AAV at $28 million a year or $28 million for the life of the contract. But overall, we're seeing, you know, this is just, a, you're not going to get an above average, you know, sixth, seventh inning reliever uh, or better at one year, 8 million. So it made sense. Yeah. Um, but now this is, this is a problem. This is a complete kind of loss on the deal for them uh, because they got Graveman at the deadline for Lee. They get a month, two months of Graveman. He has a shoulder injury, so he was not part of the 2023 postseason roster at all. So you lost out on the postseason ability for him. Now you've lost out on all of 24. This is a big problem for them. Uh, and I think this is uh, this has already been a concerning offseason for the Astros um, just in general, but specifically to their bullpen where they've lost Hector Neris, Ryan Stanek, Phil Maton, uh, to free agency. None of them have signed yet, but they're out there. They're not on the roster for 2024 as of yet. And so now Houston is in a position where they're going to need to replace 207 bullpen innings from the 2023 staff. Uh, not looking good uh, to say the least. Yeah. Well, and it's, it's, I think the biggest thing is the, the quality of pitching that they're losing in Stanek, Maton and Neris. Mm-hmm. Um, I know Neris is going to command big money. Mm-hmm. And like, I've, I, I keep seeing Neris of the Yankees. I don't think it's going to happen. I could, if I were the Astros, I would pivot quickly. I mean, you're in, losing all three of them. Neris is still on the market. Last time I checked, all um, three of them are still on the market. According to Chandler are, Rome, okay. according to Chandler Rome of the athletic Houston is not really interested in bringing back Phil Maton. Uh, apparently they haven't really shown much interest in reuniting with him. Uh, I don't think they have any interest in reuniting with Ryan Stanek, which is kind of surprising, but I think he might also be asking for more money than he, than, than they think he's worth. Uh, he right. set the relief, uh, the franchise record for lowest ERA by a reliever and then was like barely used at all in the postseason in 2022. So I don't know that they value him the same way he values himself or perhaps even the market values him. They have apparently been, he's, in also on not, a, he's not as, he's not a spring chicken anymore. Yeah, I mean that's that's the nature of the game, right? But he he also yeah. isn't. I don't think I don't think he would help this issue either. He would be a sixth inning guy. He's not, and and you know he's not he's not going to help them significantly bridge the gap to Brian Abreu and Ryan Presley uh, in the seventh right. inning that they really need, or fill in for one of them when they're too tired or banged up, injured, etc. He's not going to help them in that regard. They are in on right. Naris, as you, as you mentioned, the Yanks also apparently are, and the Texas Rangers, I believe, are all interested in Naris. I would welcome a Naris reunion. I think the biggest problem is that Houston, I don't know if they're really looking for a long-term deal on Naris, and I think Naris is looking for it. He opted out of this. He, was, he had a player option for this 2024 season. He opted out of it, so I think the option was for about $8 million. He's looking north of $8 million, and oh, he's probably yeah. looking for more than a year. And I just with with where Houston's at, with Altuve's extension coming up, with Bregman possibly being a free agent, with them trying to extend Kyle Tucker, I don't know that. And and on top of that, still having two years of Rafael Montero's contract left, I don't know that they're in a position to really go make a big push uh, on a reliever. But yeah, that's hold a, your that, hats. That's, that, that's a big butt with a name still out there that we haven't mentioned. Exactly. And we haven't mentioned it because while we were preparing for the show, Chandler Rome tweeted out the Astros are apparently aggressively pursuing Josh Hader, a former Houston Astro who was traded away in 2015 for Carlos Gomez and Mike Fires, I believe. Uh, God, who who wasn't traded for Carlos Gomez? I, I need a list <laughs> of that. <laughs> but yeah, this is this this blows me away. So. Again, I mentioned Chandler Roma, the athletic indicating the Astros are making a push for Josh Hader. That's surprising because what we've learned to date is that Josh Hader is going for bigger money than Edwin Diaz. And this would mean if he's going to get paid that much, he's getting the closer role over Ryan Presley. Oh, so I I don't know. This is 
this is crazy. What do you, what are your thoughts as a, as a rival fan? Uh, I mean, I, I dislike it because ultimately I could see the, Yan- I, I wouldn't mind if the Yanks got hater. Um, at okay. But let's be time, realistic. They're not really connected to hater. Are they? They, Oh, I, I think they are. Yeah. Really? I mean, I, 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 it's, it's been reported by multiple Yankee beat writers that, they are interested whether or not he's interested in coming to New York is a different story. Um, well, I'm, said, I'm, let's, I, let's, yeah, let's be, let's be honest. What is, what does interested mean? I mean, I think every, the Cincinnati Reds are interested in Josh Hader because of his talent level. Are, are they actually, well, is there course. any, like, is there any movement there? Other, again, this is, this is one of those things like we talked about with Snell. It's like the big market teams are interested in everybody because they are in theory, the ones that would be able to afford that player. But does that actually translate to any, any sort of actual, you know, connection or any sort of actual uh, appetite? I, I think the, I think the reason that they would be seriously interested uh, would be that Clay Holmes, while he has had, I'm not going to call it limited success, but he's had more success as a setup man than he has had as a closer. I mean, I know he was an all-star in 22 as a closer, and then in the second half, basically couldn't find the strike zone. Mm-hmm. Um, but that's ultimately why I think he would be, I think that's why the Yanks would be interested in adding someone of Josh Hader's caliber, because then you would have Clay Holmes as basically the backup closer, uh, but he would be able to then return to that eighth inning role, and you'd have Hader as the full-time closer. Do I think that they would be willing to give him whatever I, I saw speculation and it wasn't about um, it wasn't about what the Yanks could give him. It was speculation, I think, from the athletic in uh, mm-hmm. uh, Bowden's uh, free agent tracker, which is always sort of the Wild West. That's um, again, that, I feel like I feel like Jim ba- Bowden is just like a, he, he does a lot of prognostication without any. He's one of those guys. He's one of those guys that reminds me of people who say this is going to happen. It just makes too much sense not to. And you're like. Well, is there any actual like is there any actual fire there or is this just you huffing smoke? Like, you know, yeah, exactly. it's like it's, it's like when it's, people it's, are like every year. It's like it, it reminds me of MLB The Show when a free agent that, exactly. pops up on MLB The Show and it's like the top level free agent and it's like teams interested, Yankees, Dodgers, Red Sox. And you're like, oh, cool. But then he signs <laughs> with Kansas City. You know what I mean? Yeah, because because they dump all of their available budget into them. Well, they have. Yeah. yeah, And they have nobody. There's nobody on salary for the next year. So the computer's like, we got to pay somebody. Aaron Judge, welcome to the Royals. Like, exactly. Oh, my God. I I remember I remember in the show, I guess that would have been the show 21 or no, the show 22. And then he was and Judge was a free agent after. And he he actually hit free agency. He didn't resign in your in your franchise. Yeah, and this was this was a franchise I think with the Pirates that I had, and mm-hmm. he signed with the Royals because yeah. they threw the entire budget at him, and I was like, yeah. "What the hell?" I mean, I, I, yeah, it's, I it's, went. It's, at, it's, yeah. I signed Otani. Oh, now in, in, I have in been my, told. In my, in my, in I have my been told Pirates many, franchise. many, many times. Nobody gives a rat's ass about your fantasy league. I think even fewer people give a rat's ass about our MLB The Show franchises. <laughs> Oh, that's of, like, of course. I want, I want to tell you, I'll tell you a quick story. My nephew, my nephew uh, showed me he's doing an Eagles franchise in Madden. He like called me into his room was like, look at my team. And he had like he had like Kyler Murray backing up Jalen Hurts on the Eagles. And his receivers were like Debo Samuel and Tyreek uh, Hill, like Justin Jefferson, Tyreek Hill. And his tight ends were like Kelsey and Kittle. And I was like, what, what is this? And he, I was like, what, what are you showing me? And he was like, look how good my team is. I was like, you forced the computer to trade these players to you. This isn't an accomplishment. What's happening now? He also doesn't have any draft picks for the next four seasons. But it's yeah, fine. I think that I think that was also too. I think he, he, he showed me this awesome workaround, like how he did it. Because I was like, I was like, oh, I don't have force trades turned. He like tried to kind of like fool me with like, I don't have force trades turned on. And I was like. Okay, how like how do you have no draft picks at all? Some and even still, like you can't get Patrick Mahomes from the Chiefs for just a first round pick. Even the computer wouldn't let that happen. And he was what his workaround was is he would take a player, move them to punter, and then trade a seventh round pick for them because they're so they're not a punter. Like you know, the kick accuracy on Patrick Mahomes is horrible. So he'd change them to punter. 
And then they'd be like a 36 overall punter. And you're like, here's seventh round pick for Patrick Mahomes, the punter. And the computer's like, deal. And then you go back and you change him to quarterback. That's that's a phenomenal loophole. It's one that I haven't thought about in a while. Yeah, me other than like you trade for a guy who's actually much better, but has like a lower rating and then you get him and it's like, mm, he's got great left-handed power. Yeah, that's what exactly. You just put to him. But anyway, yeah, I, I, I don't know. We'll see. I, I I don't know. Well, getting back to getting back to Josh Hader. Um, you mean getting back yeah, to so, reality? Yeah, exactly. So okay, so you, you're saying you you know, of course of course you'd love the Yankees to get him. I'm more so th- I, I'm more so interested. Like, what what is your perspective of the impact of the Astros getting him as a rival fan? Yeah, I mean, of, of course I'm going to be disappointed because I don't want him to go to a rival. Um, but I, I'm also like. The, it's not like the Astros are keeping Stanek, Neris, and Maton, mm-hmm. and and have um, have Graveman. They're mm-hmm. signing out of an abundance of need, yeah. um, so I can't exactly blame them. I'll be a little irritated, especially when I when I go on Wednesday, May eighth, or whatever, uh, mm-hmm. instead of Thursday, May 9th at five o'clock. Uh, thanks, Yanks, for or thanks MLB scheduling for that one. Mm-hmm. Um, but at the same time, I can't blame the Astros. I mean, there are other closers on the market, uh, like we talked about, like Chapman, David Robertson. I don't know if Chapman really wants to go to Houston. Uh, I don't but, know that uh, Houston wants to. Aroldis Chapman definitely doesn't want to. Well, I, I guess no. the, his only interest in going was that so he wouldn't have to face them anymore. I mean, it got there to a go. point where Texas would not even let him go into a game unless they had a 10-run lead. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, so like, I don't I don't see a Wilder all this popping up in Houston. Popping up in Houston. Um, David Robertson, I could also see as a reunion with the Yanks. Yeah. I don't see. I I mean, he he will continue to get uh, he will continue to get paid until he wants to retire because he's always been a control guy over a velocity guy. Um, Robert Stevenson, that name doesn't jump off the page. Like he's a Tampa I, Bay Ray. How how dare you act like you don't know who he is? He's from the East. He's, like he's, that's he, all you I know. know I, is I, the I, East. I, no, but I'm, I I get that. But like, why he's am I actually pretty well. Robert? I think he's pretty well sought after. I think that's why he's. I think I think he, I think he is well sought after, and he's he's one of those like two winning guys that great. You can pitch him two or three days in a row at one inning a piece, mm-hmm. or he can come in for two and a third. Mm-hmm. If a shorter goes a little bit, uh, goes a, a, a starter goes a little shorter. Mm-hmm. Um, and he'll, he'll give up one run over two and a third and he'll be fine. Um, but again, he's just not, he's not the big sexy reliever, um, mm-hmm. like hater. Right. So, and I don't, I would not put Robert Stevenson as a closer. Yeah, I don't. Yeah, I'm not sure. I think he's a Robertson guy. I, would, I wouldn't put Robertson. In, I mean, that worked poorly. And we'll ask our buddy Hank on that one. That did not work out so well in Miami. It, it didn't work well in Miami, but it was working well for the Mets. I mean, he looked fine taking over for Diaz. Um, yeah. he, he started. I mean, he took over for Mo when he tore his ACL. Mm-hmm. He, pit, he That was like 10 well years ago, Philly. though, bro. Of course it is. But my point is, is he has the mentality um, I would definitely sign him as a setup man. I wouldn't if I if I if, if the Yanks re-signed Robertson, mm-hmm. I would still keep Clay Holmes in the closing role and mm-hmm. have Robertson as a setup man. And then if Clay Holmes isn't available, great, you bring in Robertson, he can deal mm-hmm. with it. But if you were if maybe you're not the fish, but if if you're another team who needs a closer, you could do a whole lot worse than David Robertson. Yeah, Robertson feels like a guy who should have already signed with the Kansas city Royals because he's going to get traded at the deadline to an actual contender again. It will. Exactly. Like, yeah. Sign, sign with the Royals sign with, uh, well, the guardians always have a shot. Um, yeah, yeah no, he actually makes sense as a guardian sign too. Yeah. Uh, but you know, I, I, but I, at, at this point in his career, I think he's going to choose where he wants to go. And I think he's going to choose to go where they're going to contend. And uh, getting back to the, to the hater topic, this, this, Signing concerns me, or the potential signing, the I potential, say, or the, the interest in him. It's it's concerning, but it's also so fascinating because we've heard a lot. I think we've talked about it once or twice on this uh, podcast. We've heard a lot about Jim Crane doesn't want to break the uh, first threshold of the competitive balance tax. Yep. Uh, but then then we hear the the other pushback on that is he's willing to do it for the right person. And the example yeah. we hear all the time is Zach Greinke. 
which is the only time they ever in his in his ownership, I believe it's the only time the Astros have broached uh, gone past the threshold was to get Zach Greinke in 2019. Right. And it and they didn't actually have to pay the tax in 19. It, it was it put them over in 2020. But then because of covid, the taxes were forgiven. So they've never actually paid a dollar to it. But everybody keeps saying, you know, look what he did with Granky. He was willing to do it for Granky. He'll do it for the right guy. There's just nobody on the market that makes sense. And I get that to an extent. I don't know. I don't know how much. I don't know how how much truth there is to it, or or how much relevance there is because it doesn't appear to be the right guy on the market. But maybe Hater is the right guy for them. Maybe that's you know. I I didn't. I never really considered Hater at all as an option for them this this off season, but. I, I do think there's some merit, right, to that concept of, you know, if for for you Breaking Bad fans out there, no half measures. Like if you're gonna go over, blow past it. It's not worth going over by a little and paying that tax to get, you know, Phil Maton back on the roster. It's not right. worth it. It may perhaps even in their eyes they see it as it's not worth it to do that to get Hector Neris. Whereas they look at this and they say Josh Hader is the best reliever on the market right now and probably was this whole offseason. I don't think there's anybody that was better than him that was on the market this offseason. And many people think he's the best reliever, you know, best leverage reliever that's hit the market the last several years, like better than Edwin Diaz. So uh, it's just it would be it would be really insane to be paying that much money to him and Rafael Montero going into the, each of these next two years. It would also, as, as Chandler Rome points out, it would also create this problem of, He's your closer now. Ryan Presley is no longer your closer. How does Ryan Presley feel about that? And in connection with that, I am very closely monitoring Ryan Presley's mother's Twitter account because she will weigh in sometimes. Sometimes she she is known to get spicy on Twitter. So I have been refreshed. Ever since I saw the Chandler Rome tweet, I've just been like, was at Jan Presley one, refresh, 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 just waiting for her to get upset. But maybe she, she's, uh, I, I don't know the woman. She's, I'm sure she's perfectly fine. Well-mannered, well-meaning woman. Oh, so she's not friends with Zach Wilson's mom? <laughs> Zach Wilson might be following her Twitter account. <laughs> In fact, I just realized I am not following it. Follow, just followed it now so that I get the, I should, I should set alerts. I won't, but I, I have thought about it. <laughs> Is she going to break the news? There you go. That, oh yeah. But yeah, so it raises questions. I, I don't know. I don't know if the Astros are, I don't know if this is serious. I don't, I mean, I, I don't, I'm not doubting Chandler Rome's reporting. I just don't know if the, if the interest is, is as serious as we think and, or, um, or who knows, man, this could just be smoke. This could be agent smoke. Like this could be smoke from the hater camp, like not, not pleased with where his market's at. And say like we got to throw another team in up, here. Yeah. We got to throw another team in the mix and say they're interested, so we can get more people, more urgency from whoever the actual stalking horse is, right? So, who knows? Yeah, and it's it, it has certainly happened before. It's not the first time. It's I think February is always a big month, especially the beginning of February for still big names to be out there and right well, ever now, since ever since Machado Harper it's been that way oh yeah oh that's what I'm, that's what I'm saying like we still have hater out there we still have Bellinger out there uh who else is still like some of the some of the big names they're Feb, the beginning of February is always time for the stove to get real hot because all of a sudden guys are like okay we're starting to drum up interest in the market. Markets close. Uh, the market's starting to open up. Okay, let's get our offers in and let's get ready for camp. Because it's not. Like I think you also you out. also see urgency and not just on the team side but on the player side. You're you're going to see that's more I, guys. That's more guys I mean, take yeah. those one one year prove it deals. Guys that thought they were going to get a multi year deal are saying, "Fine, let me go sign with a, a a really good position for good money for one year and see if I can reset this cycle again next year." Um, Exactly. So we'll, see. we'll see. Yeah. And uh, maybe, maybe Kansas City locks up some more guys who are on those one year. Yeah. Years. Maybe. Yeah. Can, Josh, you heard it here. Josh Hader, future Kansas City Royal uh, and Cody Bellinger. Ooh, I would love that. <laughs> <laughs> I don't think Cody's going to do another one year deal, though. He did that last year. I think he's cashing out. I don't. And I think he'll get a suitor. I think it's I think it's just a matter of time. Him and, you know, who, I wonder if Solaire would do a one year deal, though. Teoscar did one, but I don't think Teoscar's hit. 
Teoscar's never hit free agency. So Solaire yeah. has, he, and he, he intentionally built his opt-outs in so that he could do exactly this. So I, I don't think Solaire is going to settle for him, but you never know. And I, I guess I don't think Bellinger will either. Yeah. And I, I honestly, I, I could sort of see Bellinger going back to Chicago. Yeah, maybe the Cubs finally made a move. Uh, they finally did make mm-hmm. a move, but that'll be a topic for another another day. Let's get to topic number three. How many votes would a podcaster cast if a podcaster could cast votes? The Baseball Hall of Fame totals will be revealed on January 23rd with the 75% threshold necessary to be cleared for induction into the hall. So far, likely inductions based on uh, you know public consensus and speculation include Adrian Beltre and Todd Helton. Uh, possible inductions include uh, Billy Wagner and Joe Maurer. Now, those are based on, uh, this is a website called BBHOF Tracker, so BaseballHallFameTracker.com, by Ryan Thibodeau. He runs the website and tracks ballots that are made publicly available or submitted anonymously to him. He is indicating that Billy Wagner and Joe Maurer are appearing on over 80% of the ballots that have been made public or submitted to him. Of course, that does not necessarily guarantee both men will clear the 75% threshold. Uh, Notably, however, excluded or below the necessary threshold based on the ballots that have been made publicly available or submitted to uh, Thibodeau are Gary Sheffield, Andrew Jones, and Carlos Beltran. Those are the three kind of highest that are right now, at least what we publicly know, 75 or under the 75% threshold. Uh, And his, let me double check his numbers. He's indicating roughly just under half the vote is still unknown. So he's got 45.6% of ballots, or excuse me, 45.6% of ballots are known. So more than half of the ballots that remain outstanding are just out there. So that is, um, that's a lot of, uh, a lot of room for error, but Right now, he's projecting Beltre as a near lock. 98.9% of ballots that he's reviewed or, or, or I guess, indi- um, input into his spreadsheet. Joe Maurer yep. is in the 83s. Todd Helton, almost to 83%. Billy Wagner is sitting right at 80%. So, Eric, if you had a vote, which you don't, which I don't, uh, and I believe I gave you the, val- the ballots there if you want to click on the link, you've got up to oh, 10 selections. Who are you putting in? your ballot for the 2024 baseball hall of fame. Uh, so I, I would definitely vote for Beltre. Mm-hmm. I would definitely vote for Billy Wagner. Mm-hmm. And I would definitely vote for Carlos Beltran and Andrew Jones. Wow. Okay. The, uh, the other ones I am not against. Todd Helton was a, was a very, very, very consistent hitter mm-hmm. for some reason. For a long time. For a long time. Played for one team. He's one of my favorite players to watch. He, his stats are, are certainly something to, uh, to take a look at. Um, and I had them pulled up. And they're not loading because of a wonderful little ad on my phone. Um, to me, he never stood out as a Hall of Famer. Interesting. I, I th- is I that think because a- he played on notorious minor league team Colorado Rockies, the the team where the Yankees just get their their talented player their their farm team? No, no. <laughs> I, if, if if Todd Helton were traded to the Bronx, I would have absolutely loved it. Um, and I think his numbers would be about the same, um, with the short porch versus the high altitude of Colorado, but Mm. like 369 home runs, 1400 ribbies. I mean, that's, that's nothing, that's nothing to scoff at. Um, I saw he's one of three players all time to have three plus seasons of hundred extra base hit Mm -hmm. seasons. The other two are Hall of Famers. Uh, mm-hmm. One's Lou Gehrig. I'm blanking on who the other one was. Um, what five-time All-Star? He never won an MVP. He won one, two, three Gold Gloves. Mm-hmm. One, two, three, four Silver Sluggers. Uh, highest Hall of Fame uh, voting was in 2000. He came in fifth. 2000. Uh, 
Yes. His highest MVP uh, voting. Got it. You said Hall of Fame voting. Sorry. Oh, I'm sorry. Yeah, MVP voting. Um, he came in fifth. Uh, he also won the batting title that year, 372. Uh, led the National League in 147 ribbies, 59 doubles, 216, uh, 216 hits, uh, 463 on base. He's he's a very good player. Mm-hmm. I just don't see him as a Hall of Famer. That's um, interesting. Uh, you know, I, I'm not saying that I want to use all 10. Um, yeah, you don't Sheff- have to. Gary Sheffield is one. I mean, I know he like, he admittedly used the clear. Uh, he got it in the Balco uh, case um, from the, the guys at Balco over there who were, uh, you know, helping Bonds out. Um, he's in allegedly, allegedly. Barry no, 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 no. no. Barry oh, Bonds I'm sorry. Yes. Barry Bonds maintains that he was only using like the zinc supplement or whatever that, uh, that right. Balco is famous for. Right. Um, but Gary Sheffield, I think, deserves to be in the Hall of Fame. Uh, you th- so what, would you vote for him? I would vote for Gary Sheffield. Okay, yeah. so I think that's five then now. We've got Sheffield, Beltre, uh, who are you, uh, Andrew Jones? Is it Andrew Jones? Yeah, I said Andrew Jones. He, I think one of Wagner the best defensive center, field, center fielders of all time. Okay. Um, you know, I'm, I'm sort of all over the place with Alex Rodriguez. Mm-hmm. And I'm not. Is even, that because like, he was caught using PEDs twice? Yes. Yeah. Like you didn't learn your lesson once. Um, he has certainly gotten up from that entire spiel of like he's going to sue the Yankees and sue the league, and he's certainly rehabilitated his image, and now everyone mm-hmm. loves him, even though he's a horrible announcer. Um, I. I think I think we can't ignore the steroid era. And if Major League Baseball is willing to acknowledge the fact that those numbers stand, if they're not willing to wipe numbers off from PED users, then Mm -hmm. Alex Rodriguez deserves to be in the Hall of Fame. So I would vote. I would vote for A-Rod. Wow. That was a quick turn. That that was the fastest one I've ever seen. But but the the whole thing is, and we can talk about this on another episode, like everything that happened with Bonds and Clemens and and Sosa and all of them, McGuire... If Major League Baseball is acknowledging the numbers in the record books, if we're not wiping that out, Bonds of 73 is the single season record. Those guys should be voted on. This is the baseball. It's there's no that's the difference. This is the baseball Hall of Fame. It's not Major League Baseball's Hall of Fame, right? Yeah. Because we've got like I I get it. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Yeah, it's not the MLB Hall of Fame. But those guys are, quote, in the Hall of Fame because their numbers stand um, there, there's obviously items from the 2001 season and the 98 season from McGuire and yeah. the time, you know, goes on and on and on. A-Rod was the third player to have 3000 hits and the third, the 3000th hit was a home run. Um, can you name the first person, uh, to have the three thousand, the first player to have their 3000th hit be a home run? He's not a home run hitter. No, he because played, I he don't, I don't, I don't track home runs on a Tuesday stats. <laughs> Who is it? It was, Wade, it was Wade Boggs. Oh, wow. Yeah. And it was Wade Boggs. It's the reason that his number is retired by the, the Tampa Bay Rays. He hit oh, wow. it at Tropicana Field. He was the uh, first be- person to have their 3,000th hippie home run. That's actually kind of surprising. Uh, I didn't I, I didn't know that until Jeter was the second one. So so let's let's so so with a rod is that is that where you ended? Is that your six? And I again, I want to I want to actually I want to acknowledge this again. That 180 you just gave us on a rod was reminds me of like the Rick James Chappelle show where he's like, I did not stomp my dirty feet into his couch. Yeah. I remember stomping my feet into his couch. Like that was, that was so fast, man. That was bam. That was done. All right. So we got six. Yeah. That's, that's, that's my six. Sheffield okay. Jones. So, oh, did, did I, did I say that I would, I would also put in Carlos Beltran. You did. I think he's one of the six. So my, my okay. by my count, your six are Carlos Beltran, Adrian Beltre. Did you say Todd? You did say Todd Helton again. Another flip flop on you. You came in, came in soft no, on Todd. No, no, I, you said I no. I, I would not vote for Todd Helton. Okay, so it's it's Carlos Beltran, Adrian Beltre, Andrew Jones, uh, Alex Rodriguez, Gary Sheffield, Billy Wagner. Those are your six. And I don't think he's going to get in. 
Make it seven. That's not the question. The question is, who would you vote for? I know. I'm adding a seventh. Uh, K-Rod. Francisco Rodriguez. Okay. I have to say two things. Uh, one, your flip-flops amazed me. Two, I can... And I'm going to give you a soft golf clap. I thought for sure you were going to be like hard Andy Pettit voter. Like, I thought you were going to be like, it is a travesty that Andy Pettit has not already been anointed. Why he even had to go through this voting process to begin with is beyond me. Andy, Andy Pettit is a fantastic example of he was a good player through his major league career. He has really, has really nice postseason numbers. He's not a hall of famer. Interesting. Yeah. No, I don't necessarily disagree with that uh, take, but I, I was just surprised, you know, yeah. for me, I would say, um, I would definitely vote Adrian Beltre in. I would definitely vote Todd Helton in. Uh, I absolutely would vote for Billy Wagner. <sighs> After that, it gets really tough. And I think this comes down to kind of the the question. I, I think I'd vote Carlos Beltran in as well. I From there, when I think about guys like Andrew Jones and Joe Maurer, I have a little bit of a harder time, mostly because, I, you know, I heard this um, I heard this defensive back in the NFL. And the NFL Hall of Fame is not the same as the MLB Hall of Fame, or excuse me, baseball. Right. The Football Hall of Fame and the Baseball Hall of Fame are not the same thing. They have different standards. Generally speaking, I think people think it is easier to get into the Football Hall of Fame than it is to get into the Baseball Hall of Fame. Yes. In terms of if you meet the certain qualifications, et cetera. So, but the, this former cornerback who is in the Hall of Fame by the name of Aeneas Williams, he said when he found out he got selected to the Football Hall of Fame, he said, I loved it. And it really made me, it made me emotional because I had always heard that if you can, the standard for getting into the Football Hall of Fame is they cannot tell the story of the game without talking about you. And I've right. I really stuck with me. And I, I do kind of think about that with baseball. And I, you know, it's so hard for me to keep Andrew Jones out because of his sustained run of defensive dominance uh, in the late 90s. Um, but he too reminds me of one of those guys. He just, he, he never really had the offensive numbers. And as much as we are willing to, like, we don't hold that against Edgar Martinez in the inverse, right? We think about how Edgar Martinez, again, in my argument for why Edgar Martinez would be a Hall of Famer is he revolutionized a position. Um, he revolutionized a position and made a DH an everyday thing. And it was like a position. So I, I see this weird screen thing you're doing and I was trying not to acknowledge it. What were you doing? <laughs> a thumbs up, like in a little bubble just popped up on my screen out of the side and I so was yours, like, what's happening? <laughs> your, yours did it. For everyone, we, we can see each other. We don't record audio. We don't record video in our podcasts. Uh, Apple has a new thing where hand, it, talking with your hands, it acknowledges uh-huh. it with, with bubbles. Wait so a minute. You Hang had, on. So when I'm doing this, I, for the, for the, here we go, a, a visual element to a strictly audio podcast. When I wave my hands, which is what I'm doing, just kind of waving them back and forth on the screen. Eric, are you, you see like a, an emoji of some sort? I didn't see that, but you did something with your hand that made bubbles appear. So that's why, that's why I did the thumbs up. Weird. As, as as we both basically like jerk on the screen. Yeah. Okay. We're going to cut that. Um, no, I don't think so. We we have the explicit warning on our, uh, Jesus, this is an adults only podcast. This not adults only. It does have explicit content (laughs) sometimes. Anyhow. I just I, I think about Andrew Jones's defense and it might not be fair. I don't think I would put him on my ballot strictly because he doesn't have the balance. It's the same reason why I wouldn't put Omar Vizquel on my ballot. Another guy oh, who yeah. the oh, especially those one of the late best 90s shortstops in this Cleveland era. teams. Yeah, him and Roberto Alomar, right? Alomar's in, he's not. And he played for a long time. He tried to kind of accumulate stats and time. I, I want to say he ended up finishing at like 40 or something like that as a backup for Toronto or maybe even Detroit. But you know, it's another guy that I just, I don't see, I, I can't, I, I can't put him on my ballot. Um, and a, a tough one for me. And I'm, I, I probably wrong. I don't think I would put Joe Maurer on my ballot. I know he had such a, a very good burst, um, in like around the mid two thousands where he won back to back MVPs. I think yep. I, but he, he, he had, he had a much shorter career and perhaps it's not fair, because he played a tougher position catcher is tougher on your body. I believe he also had some concussion issues, but that and then moved uh, he to just, first base. Uh, he just didn't, he didn't have as long enough career to accumulate. And again, when I think about, you know, again, I think about that standard of they can't tell the story of the game without you. He was a very, very talented player. I don't 
I can't say I automatically remember him. Even when I think of those Minnesota teams that were so kind of regularly in the postseason, I don't necessarily immediately think Joe Maurer, even when I think of those teams, I think about how good some of their pitching was. I think about Johan Santana's, you know, dominance and winning Cy Young's. Um, again, not a guy I'd put in the Hall of Fame, but that's just He's where my mind of the immediately time. goes. Yeah. Um, yeah. And then Joe Maurer came along later on and, and kind of helped them extend those division title runs and early exits. But yeah, just another guy I don't think of, you know, if and and to to extend the, the debate into the future when this becomes, I do think that way about Buster Posey and his career, even though, again, kind of had the injury issue, but such strong offensive numbers, wins an MVP, wins multiple World Series rings, and is a key contributor to those teams. And I just, I think of him in different lights. So that's probably where I would say, I would say, you know, Beltran, Beltre, Todd Helton, Billy Wagner. Those would be my four that I would vote in. Yeah. Well, and like, I'll, I'll leave the topic at this um, and we'll obviously get into it in future episodes, but I think the two hardest positions uh, to vote on in, in any hall of fame year are closer mm-hmm. and catcher. Yeah. Because you look at the offensive numbers of catchers in the late nineties and into the early two thousands, like, Piazza made it in one of the best offensive catchers of the era, mm-hmm. probably the best offensive catcher of the era. You know, who was like the number two best catcher of that, of that era was Jorge Posada. Posada's not a hall of famer, not a hall of famer. Yeah. And, but if you look at Posada's numbers, they're fairly comparable with other catchers who were in the hall of fame, but he's not a hall of famer. Yeah. Well, and it's also has, just a cliff. It's a cliff between him and Piazza. It's Piazza well, and it, then way down here, Jorge Posada. Ex- it's a big job. Exactly. Off. Exactly. So, and, and again, it's like th- there are so few closers in, like it's taken Wagner. This is what, his sixth year, seventh year? I'm not certain, but he's he's had a few tries. Last year, he got up to 68.1% of the vote. This is his ninth year, actually. His oh boy! Year. Okay, but he got up to sixty-eight point one last year. Man, I'm really hoping he gets over. And what he's got, he, he's got I, I, he, just I think he deserves good numbers. Also. He's got just as good numbers, and it's it's so interesting. And I'm glad, I'm thankful for people like Mariano Rivera and Trevor Hoffman breaking down the barrier against closers. Um, and and then it's, hilariously, it took them another few more years to get Lee Smith in. But uh, you know, it's it's good that we got guys like that in there. And then now they have now you can compare Wagner to them and see how. You know, obviously he did not rack up the the counting saves, but he had very dominant numbers for a while there uh, on on multiple teams. So I think he's a yeah. Hall of Famer in my book. Yeah, and like and Lee Smith is the reason. Like, and you you hit the nail on the head. Mo and Hoffman breaking that mold of getting in. They can't be the only ones though. So like Lee yeah. Smith being in, I think provides good opportunities not only for Wagner but for K Rod. Um, I don't think John Franco is ever going to get in great career. And if he kept, closing, he might get players, players committed in, but yeah, I don't I mean, know. It those, just depends those, on those, how those are... personable and likable he is. How many friends he has. Yeah, exactly. And like John Franco was pretty well received. I think he's, I think he's still involved with like the veterans committee or something Probably. like the Probably. veterans committee of like the, the players union. Yeah. Um, yeah. So, well, with that, let's get to some plugs here uh, as we put a bow on the episode. Uh, first off, T Public Store still going strong. The sale last weekend uh, is over, but a new one is coming up. We've got two new designs that dropped over the weekend. One is a Sports by Storm Los Angeles design, and we have a new Bleachers and Boxes Subway sign design. It's like a front back shirt, and uh, also you can just get the, the Subway sign made into like a little piece of wall art or a sticker, etc., uh, T public is going to have another site-wide sale starting January 25th through the 28th. The sports by storm and bleachers by boxes. Yeah. The sports by storm and bleachers and boxes merch will be marked down up to 35% off to find our star gore to yeah. man. We're going to have to cut this. This is a terrible read. We're I'm not stumbling we're, over we, some we, words to we're not, find we're not our cutting store, anything. We're to not find cutting our anything. star to find our store, go to T public and store. type bleachers and boxes into the search bar or you can search sports by storm and you will find all our designs there sports by storm a Substack blog still going strong subscribe get it to your inbox read it like comment etc you can find me on twitter sports by storm or on instagram sports by storm ea you still on twitter 
Hell yeah. Uh, going strong with the four train army. Uh, it has mostly been celebrating the national championship for Michigan. That's right. That's right. Have uh, we ta- wait, we, they, they, they won since our last, they, we, we do, we talked about it on their last win. On our last no, episode, our, we talked about them winning. Our, la- our last episode was the day of the national championship. Oh, that's right. Because you were in here with your fucking 6 p.m. Eastern nonsense as though people were getting their information from us. Hey, you know what? The we're, episode we're rep- literally published the day after. And you're out here giving them <laughs> channel 322 on Comcast. Tune in. Sorry if you're using Comcast, but also I'm sorry that I'm using Spectrum. So, um, but no, uh, staying strong, obviously staying up to date with baseball news. Uh, but obviously there's a lot going on uh, with, we're not talking about all the coaching searches right now, but uh, we are in a rare uh, premium coaches available uh, soon to be off season um, where we have Bill Belichick, Pete Carroll, uh, Mike Rabel, I wouldn't put him as a Pete Carroll's not coach, technically but... a free agent. He is no, he's moving not to an internal role or something like that. And that's where I think he's. I think he's staying in Seattle. Like I think he. Yeah, I think to he is down. too. I just. Yeah, I mean, I, yeah. there's some, there's some, some, um, some reading between the lines. It sounds like he wasn't super thrilled to be told that, but I think at the same time he wants to. He still wants to have his hands on on some personnel decisions or something. I don't know. So exactly. But hey, no, uh, there st- might even be an opening in Michigan soon. There, there very well could be. He's been rumored to be going to the Los Angeles Chargers. Yep, he also interviewed with uh, with the Atlanta Falcons, where I did see Belichick uh, interviewed. I think really, I was already in for his second interview. Yeah, I mean, like, hey, talk about. I mean, why would you go? Why would you go to Atlanta from New England? Like, don't don't you feel that? I I feel New England would be closer to being competitive before Atlanta. They've got existing defensive pieces. I guess Atlanta has some fun skill weapons that are being misutilized. That's, and that that's, has been a difficulty for Belichick to develop. Exactly. But and so like, his quarterback and they don't have a quarterback there. I'm not a Desmond Ritter believer. Exactly. Um, no, I, I just saw that he did his second interview in Atlanta. Um, I know Dallas, obviously we, we talked about it in our group text. Uh, Mike McCarthy uh, seems to be sticking around for one more year. Uh, we don't know what's going on yet, at least as the last time I checked. Um, I saw today, uh, which is November, uh, November, uh, January 18th, uh, Nick Sirianni, uh, was speaking with, uh, Eagles ownership. Um, and I don't think anything has, oh no, they're meeting tomorrow. Now, uh, it was initially reported that they were meeting today. Uh, he's meeting Eagles ownership tomorrow. That job could be open. That's a historic collapse right there. Um, and I, I, I would love for Harbaugh to stay at Michigan forever. If he's going to leave, this is going to be the year. And Michigan has the rightful heir uh, in offensive coordinator, Sharon Moore, uh, who coached. He went 4-0 in six games that Harbaugh was suspended this year. The three big ones were the the end of the season wins against Penn State, uh, Maryland, and Ohio State. So Mm -hmm. um, that would be the continuity that would keep recruits in. Um, yeah. It would keep people from transferring. So, and uh, yeah. as as a as a fun anecdote, I guess fun. Um, Mich- I believe it's Michigan and Washington get additional time with the transfer portal because of the season. Oh, the, the way that the season ended. Yeah, and I, I think I I think it's like if you make the playoffs, like Alabama and Texas got the same. I think it's an additional thirty days, but their window stays open five less days or something, whatever it was in between Got seven it. less days oh, on the calendar. Right. Yeah. Very good. Well, I'm sure that uh, anybody that's interested in following you can find you on Twitter at Fortrain Army. With that, though, that's going to put a wrap on this one. Thank you all for listening. Please rate, like, subscribe. And if you want to support the show, go get some merch on Tee Public, uh, preferably when the sale starts so you can get a little discount. Take care, everybody. Yeah. Peace.